Hey y'all, we've got a quick little announcement before we start the show. As we mentioned before, one of the best parts of starting this podcast has been the community of Narnia fans and readers we've encountered. With that in mind, we wanted to announce that we've launched a Patreon page for the Lamp Post listener. And if you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a way of building a community of supporters around some type of creative content. In this case, it's the Lamp Post listener. If you wish to be a supporter of the show, there are various rewards that come with supporting us. The funds we receive will be going towards making the show the absolute best that it can be. This will include covering our hosting costs, purchasing new recording equipment, and travel expenses like for our upcoming trip to the C.S. Lewis Conference at Montreat College. There are multiple tiers of support, but our primary vehicle is our new monthly podcast, The Dancing Lawn. Just like The Dancing Lawn and Prince Caspian, this will be a place for us to meet up and talk about all things Narnia and beyond, outside of our regular episodes. This will include movies, books, and the upcoming series from Netflix. We'll also be bringing in some returning guests from previous episodes. The first episode is already up, and in it, we discuss the BBC's adaptation of Prince Caspian. And just to clarify, nothing about the Lamppost listener as it currently exists is going to change, and please don't feel obligated to participate. The mere fact that you've listened to the show is more than we could ever ask for, and we're truly thankful for all the support we've already received. But if you would like to support us at Patreon, you can click the link in the episode's description. Or, if you're listening through Apple Podcasts where there aren't any links, you can visit patreon.com slash narniapodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash narniapodcast. Thanks again, and we hope you enjoy the final chapter of Prince Caspian. Well, hello, and welcome to the season finale of The Lamppost Listener. My name is Daniel. I'm Phil. And this is a podcast where we journey chapter by chapter through C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. This is chapter 15 of Prince Caspian, Aslan Makes a Door in the Air. This is it. This is it. You Again. Know, <laughs> we're in the end game now. <laughs> uh, Son of a... Stole my line. <laughs> well, listeners, it is hard to believe that we are here at the end of of Prince Caspian. It feels like we just started yesterday, and I think that speaks a lot to the fast-paced nature of this book. Don't you think so? It has some fantastic pacing. Yeah, it has gone by so quickly, it's hard to believe that we, the Telmarines are defeated, and that by the end of this chapter, our four Pevensey children are back in England. It's it's hard to believe that. It's, it's right. happened so quickly. Well, Phil, in the last episode, we left the Telmarines in Narnia. They had engaged in the Second Battle of Baruna. The Telmarines had all surrendered, and the Narnians claimed victory. Any addendums or anything else we need to go over before we jump into the chapter summary? I don't think so. I think we should just get right into it. Let's get to it. After the Telmarines have surrendered, a severely injured reaper sheep is brought to Aslan. Lucy uses her cordial to heal him, but his tail does not grow back. Despite his pride, Aslan restores Reepicheep's tail because of the dedication of his followers and friends. A feast ensues and the Narnians enjoy food and drink alongside the trees of the wood. The next day, Aslan creates a door in the air that leads out of Narnia. He explains that the Telmarines were originally from our world and he offers them the choice to return to an island that they came from in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. The Pevensies offer to go through the door to prove that it's safe. Before they leave, we learn that Peter and Susan will not be returning. The four walk through the door and return to England. Well done. It's a sad little ending here. Do you just let's just jump right to the end for a second? Are you happy with the end of Prince Caspian? I am. Yes. I do think there are some sad parts. I think it's sad that Peter and Susan don't get to come back. But at the same time, as soon as I was sad, I also realized there's probably a good reason, and it's probably time. Are you frustrated that we don't really get a reason, though? No, because I feel like we will find out later. Okay, that's fine, because I'm frustrated enough for you. So uh, <laughs> I, I like this chapter. I think it's a fun chapter. I love the feast that takes place. I love the exchange between Aslan and Reepicheep. But I, I wish there was more to kind of hold on to here at the very end. I feel like it's such an abrupt ending. And I'm so a you're saying the story left you wanting more? It did. 
I think that's good storytelling. That's fair. Well, let's go back to the beginning of the chapter, Phil. And Lewis begins right here at the very end of chapter 14. We just kind of start at the next beat with the, the Telmarine soldiers, you know, kneeling in front of Aslan and falling on their faces. What did you make of this surrender? Pretty smart surrender. <laughs> I also love how their faces are described as the color of cold gravy. Oh, it sounds gross. That cold is, gravy sounds disgusting. It's just like a dark blue. What kind of gravy are you eating, dude? <laughs> Doesn't sound dark blue. Yeah. I don't think that's I grew right. up on this moisture farm on Tatooine. And <laughs> I'm so proud of you. <laughs> How many of our listeners do you think get any of like those deep cut Star Wars references? More than you might think. I think that's fair enough. I shouldn't insult our listeners. Well, I, I enjoy this exchange that happens here after the surrender. You know, Reba Sheep is brought up and he is severely injured. He is really hurt here. Did you think, as you're reading this for the first time, did you think he was dead? I don't think so. I think they were bringing him up there for a reason. Okay. I know I forgot about Lucy's cordial. And I was like, oh, what's going to happen here? And she I has to be down to two drops. Yeah, it's I wonder how books. much. Do you think it's magical and she never runs out? I bet it refills. I, but I also I bet it's like mana where you can't, you can't use, you just can't keep going. It's, yeah, yeah. You you're going to have enough lie. for the, the situation you need. I like that. Do you think she took it with her to England? Well, we know that she didn't get it for is it penicillin <laughs> no i don't think so i think at the end of the chapter they leave all of their narnia things and we know she didn't have them between the last two books because they find all their stuff at the ruins uh, of Care yes. i meant this time do you think she took them back no i don't think they took any of their stuff with them including the flashlight <laughs> except exactly well lucy heals reaper sheep she she pours the medicine on him and it heals him but he's surprised to see what that he doesn't have his tail. He goes to bow, uh-huh. and he doesn't have his tail. He's very upset by this. You know, I don't have a tail, so I was unaware of how much dignity is associated between mice and their tails. But, I mean, he is really, really embarrassed here. Yes. Do you think he's just being prideful, or is there a, does he have a good reason for this? It's a difficult thing to say with honor. Is that is that being proud in the good way, or is that being prideful? Well, according to... to Reap, he said. Can I call him Reap? Is that okay? <laughs> hey man, it's fine with me. Uh, <laughs> I think we're close enough. We're friends enough. He he says, you know, it's he's a way to try to reclaim some of his dignity. This is what he says. Permit me to remind you that a very small size has been bestowed on us mice, and if we did not guard our dignity, some who weigh worth by inches would allow themselves very unsuitable pleasantries at our expense. That is why I have been at some pains to make it known that no one who does not wish to feel this sword as near his heart as I can reach shall talk in my presence about traps or toasted cheese or candles. No, sir, not the tallest fool in Narnia. So I, I don't think it's purely pride. I think some of it comes from, it's actually how, you know, you often feel like pe- pride goes really closely with insecurity. Those, mm. those two things are, are so often this weird kind of sandwich that goes together. I think some of that is some insecurity from him, from his size, right? Definitely. And, you know, he had he had the giant Rumble Buffin laugh at him earlier. Or Wimbleweather laughed at him. Yeah, don't bring Rumble Buffin into this. Ooh. He could do yeah. no wrong. He was nearly perfect. For God, I'm not a Narnia novice anymore. <laughs> I mean... I, I still am. <laughs> I think we both still are. So I love the way this works it, itself out, though. Because... The mice, his companions, they prepare themselves. It's Peepa Cheek, is that it's Pikachu over here, and he says they're gonna cut off all of their tails. Well, I love the timing of it because Aslan is talking to Reepicheep, and he's just finished his attack on the giant verbally, and then Aslan says, "Why have all your followers all drawn their swords?" May I ask? You, th- you thought they were gonna fight? Well, I. I th- I just imagine this scene, and he lo- kind of sees out of the corner of his eye. Why do- why are there all these little swords sticking up? <laughs> <laughs> and I imagine them holding their tails, like they're ready to go. Yeah, yeah, they're right there. I- and <laughs> Aslan says, "You have conquered me. You have great hearts, not for the sake of your dignity, Reba Sheep, but for the love that is between you and your people." 
and still more for the kindness your people showed me long ago when you ate away the cords that bound me on the stone table. And it was then, though you have long forgotten it, that you began to be talking mice. You shall have your tale again. That was a mic drop. Not a mic drop. That was a big moment. It was. It, it was. connected it to the first book in a really cool way. I like learning about that. And I also love this idea that, you know, our good old friend Reap gets what he wants, but it's because of his friends. It's because of how much they care for him, not just because of his own pride. And I, I how generous of Aslan to do that. Th- this, to me, is one of my favorite Aslan moments in the whole book. I think it's this and that scene with Lucy where he first... Uh, she first sees him back in chapter 10 that are my right. two favorite Aslan moments. Those are standouts. Well, any thoughts, any last thoughts here, Phil, before we move into the feast that takes place? Well, I I just thought it was funny that the Tomarines get sent back to the town of Baruna and they're given beer and beef. <laughs> that sounds like a great that, uh, that's prison not, That's not a bad prison meal at all. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Wait, are, they, are they actually, and we're joking, are they actually imprisoned here? Are they just kind of quarantined to the town. I think they're under lock and key. Okay. I don't know if it's necessarily prison. You think it's maybe a, some kind of uh, curfew that they have or something going on? I think they're they're secured. They're not getting away, but yeah. it's not permanent prison, drippy cells. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I think they're all fearful enough of Aslan that no one's going to run away at this point right. because they're, mo- they're so afraid It's been a very clear bi- victory. Yeah. Well, then a feast is had by all, and I'm going to read some from the book here. Lucy, sitting close to Aslan and divinely comfortable, wondered what the trees were doing. At first she thought they were merely dancing. They were certainly going round slowly in two circles, one from left to right and the other from right to left. Then she noticed that they kept throwing something down in the center of both circles. Sometimes she thought they were cutting off long strands of their hair. At other times, it looked as if they were breaking off bits of their fingers. But, if so, they had plenty of fingers to spare, and it did not hurt them. But whatever they were throwing down, when it reached the ground, it became brushwood or dry sticks. Then three or four of the red dwarfs came forward with their tinder boxes and set light to the pile, which first crackled and then blazed, and finally roared as a woodland bonfire on midsummer night out to do. And everyone sat down in a wide circle round it. Did this stick out to you? I read this the second time. When I was reading this chapter the second time, this it made me th- it made me think of the scene in Infinity War where Groot cuts off his arm. Uh, did, I mean, like the trees are somehow giving of themselves to be the wood for this fire. Does that strike you as weird? It was weird. The second read through when I was taking closer notes, I got this confused with Aslan making the door in the air, and I thought this was part of it. Oh, okay. And then I would was corrected a few sentences later and I realized that they were making a big bonfire. Is it weird that the trees are using their yes. own branches? Yes. It feels like me like they're, and I guess Lewis tells us it doesn't hurt them and they don't seem to be bothered by it. Right. They have plenty of fingers to spare. So I guess this is a way of them, you know, just this is how they provide for the bonfire. It still feels a little weird to me, but. You know, they do that with real trees too. They'll, they'll prune them and they grow back even better. That's true, like rose bushes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Isn't that don't rose bushes do that? I think there's some outside of the church I grew up at. Oh really? They would they would always we would drive by. What happened to all the trees? <laughs> and then it was actually a routine thing. Oh, well, there you go. So then the the food gets brought out. So let's re- let me read this. Do you want to read this? You got it. Then Bacchus and Silenus and the Maenads begin a dance far wilder than the dance of the trees. Not merely a dance for fun and beauty, though it was that too but a magic dance of plenty. And where their hands touched and where their feet fell, the feast came into existence. Sides of roasted meat that filled the grove with delicious smell and wheaten cakes and oaten cakes, honey and many-colored sugars and cream as thick as porridge and as smooth as still water, peaches, nectarines, pomegranates, pears, grapes, strawberries, raspberries, pyramids, and cataracts of fruit. Then, in great wooden cups and bowls and mazers, wreathed with ivy, came the wines, dark, thick ones like syrups of mulberry juice and clear red ones like red jellies liquefied and yellow wines and green wines and yellow-green and greenish-yellow. <laughs> I don't know if I want... Do you want to drink yellowish-green wine, dude? No. <laughs> no, thank you. I guess if it's coming from Bacchus, you got to trust him. What stands out to you? I think both of us, this 
description of all these different foods stood out to us. Why did it stand out to you? It's a certain selection. It's really good stuff. And the volume, the, the amount of different things that is present is so much that you kind of get swept away in it. I like that. I think one of the things that stood out to me, and I don't want to spoil Don Treader and the next couple of books for us, but I do want to say that this victory over the Telmarines, it feels earned and it feels like it has staying power. It feels like it's going to last, right? This doesn't feel like a reprieve before, yes, we won the battle, but not the war. This feels permanent. It's final. It feels final. And no, there's still going to be problems in Narnia. We know that's going to happen. But when you actually really think of chronologically, the next books that happened are The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, The Silver Chair, The Last Battle. I don't want to spoil Silver Chair and The Last Battle, but you know we're going into Dawn Treader next season. And Dawn Treader doesn't really have a main antagonist like Prince Caspian and Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe have. And I really like not only that aspect of it as a book, but I also think it makes this victory here in Prince Caspian feel better because it's not like the next time they come back to Narnia, all of a sudden we've got to redo all this over again. The victory here at the bats, the second battle of Baruna carries out into the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. The Voyage of the Dawn Treader is literally Narnia has been safe for so long. We're traveling out outside of this land. Ooh, I look forward to that. Yeah, and so and, and, no, it's chapter one. Don't worry, I'm not spoiling you too much. And so I do like that this feels like it has some finality to it, to Narnia. And I, I love that. There's also, the trees have their own food that they eat. Did you did you get that part? The, the rich loam. <laughs> yeah, the loam, which uh, C.S. Lewis writes, that looked almost exactly like chocolate. So like chocolate, in fact, that Edmund, that Edmund tries it. He tries some of it, but doesn't find it all that nice. Keep in mind, this is the same gentleman who ate Turkish Delight and loved it. So we know he's got bad taste in food. Right. And if loam tastes bad, to him, it has we to know be it must, pretty bad. must really be bad. <laughs> Uh, maybe that'll be a thing we do on the Dancing Lawn podcast. Oh, yeah. You and I can do some ASMR. We'd eat dirt. <laughs> that's way that's way funnier than to me than it should be. <laughs> At the loam level. At the loam level on Patreon, we will send listeners. you a piece we'll of loam. <laughs> we'll put a bunch. It's very of just saltwater taffy. <laughs> We'll put a bunch of dirt in an envelope and we'll ship it to your house. You thought glitter bombs were funny? <laughs> Wait till worms crawl out of the dirt we send you. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. We've got to bring it back to the episode here. We wanted to get back to our roots. <laughs> your dad jokes never get old, man. I love them so much. We're going to build from the ground up. <laughs> All right, all right. Chapter 15 of Prince Gaston. What do they call it? A grassroots campaign. <laughs> <laughs> do you think anyone else finds this as funny as we do? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I've got teary eyes right now. <laughs> i got watery eyes. Uh, so that's what we'll call our Patreon, a grassroots campaign. Grassroots. Um, well, I, you know, and I, I, we're having a great time here. I think it is fun that you and I are having this much joy as we finish Prince Caspian because that's really what this festival, this feast is about. Narnia has been restored. We've the restoration of the true religion after the corruption, right? And there's just so much joy that is had by all. Like that's what, when I read about this food, when I read about the celebration and the trees and the Narnians, you just get this overwhelming sense of joy. And from a storytelling point of view, the end of the battle is pretty final. And we have this big feast. There's also this nice quiet moment where Aslan stares at the moon. And I believe the moon stares back. They are gazing at each other. Yeah. And that goes all night. It's just a very interesting quiet moment. And then even better to even um, to add more to your point about it wrapping up really nicely. We're also going to see the Telmarines go someplace else. Mm -hmm. It's either you can stay and some people do. The younger ones seem to look forward to spending time with the creatures of Narnia. Mm -hmm. But what's the other option? They can go back to their homeland. Right. And it turns out that Telmar is not their homeland. They came from somewhere else before that. It's not. Yeah. yeah. 
did, did this this is kind of a plot to Sweden. Were you surprised by this? I it made sense it made sense once I read it. I don't know if I was expecting it, but again, Lewis does that amazing thing where you you are halfway through the second sentence and you start thinking, Oh, I think I know what he's gonna do. I know what the story's gonna be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's let's dive into this here because this is quite a revelation, right? That well, why don't why don't you go ahead and read it for us, Phil? Okay. Many years ago, in that world, in a deep sea of the world, which is called the South Sea, a shipload of pirates were driven by storm on an island, and there they did as pirates would: killed the natives and took the native women for wives, and made palm wine and drank and were drunk and lay in the shade of the palm trees. They woke up and quarreled, and sometimes killed one another. And in one of those frays, six were put to flight by the rest, and fled with their women into the center of the island, and up a mountain, and went, as they thought, into a cave to hide. But it was one of the magical places of that world, one of the chinks or chasms between worlds of old times, but they have grown rarer. This was one of the last. I do not say the last. And so they fell or rose, or blundered, or dropped right through, and found themselves in this world, in the land of Telmar, which was then unpeopled. But why it was unpeopled is a long story. I will not tell it now. And in Telmar their descendants lived and became a fierce and proud people. And after many generations there was famine in Telmar, and they invaded Narnia, which was then in some disorder. But that also would be a long story. And conquered it and ruled it. So if you already didn't like the Telmarines, I mean, this, it is pretty clear they're bad guys. Right. This is a really interesting backstory. I wouldn't say cool because it's, I mean, it, it shows how they like. dark stuff in it. Yeah, they, they abused and oppressed people to get where they are today. It's really interesting that they come from our world and that they kind of stumbled into this land of Narnia. And this is really, if I'm correct... If you're reading these books in publication order, this is the first time we learn that there's other lands really outside of Narnia. That we like we've seen the map maybe, but this is the first acknowledgement, right, of a land outside of Narnia. Because Telmar besides is, Earth, well, yeah, but in the Narnian, in that same magical world, Telmar is a different land far off, but it's okay. still in the same world, right? Yeah, I think so. This really, it's really interesting, and I. I think this gives a lot of good backstory to them. Do you wish that we had known this about the Telmarines earlier in the story? Or are you okay le- learning now? I like finding out now because now it's necessary. Very true. Just a paragraph down is a very important line. And I know it's important because 491 people highlighted it. Is it you come of the Lord Adam and Lady Eve? Go ahead and read the paragraph. <laughs> I also underlined it. 493. Oh, wait. Why'd you add two? I don't know. <laughs> Misheard you. <laughs> you come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve, said Aslan, and that is both honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the soldiers of the greatest emperor on earth. Be content. So you really like that? You underlined it. I did like that. What about that line stood out to you? It's the contrast of enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Or bow the shoulders. Yeah, bow. Bow the shoulders. I'd, it's one of those things that is it's confusing to read, but it also makes sense. If you're really down on your luck or not having a great time, it is an honor to be man still, to be a human. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, as great as you may be as an emperor, you still came from that. So it's like a grounding yeah, it is. It's a good grounding. It's a good C.S. Lewis quote, and it's a good response from Caspian too. The just next par- the next sentence is Caspian bowed. So Caspian accepts his lineage, and you know I, th- I don't think I don't remember if we touched on this at all in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader or not, but I think Caspian seems to know where his identity is now. Yeah. So then after this, uh, the F- Azerlin has created a door in the air that seems to lead to nowhere. You just can see right through it to Narnia. You can see just to the other side. But a Telmarine soldier takes up Aslan on his offer that if he walks through this, he'll return to that island he came from. So he walks through. 
he disappears. Right. And the rest of the Telmines, they, Telmarines, they do not feel good about this. And they're they not don't. falling for that. They're like, I'm not going to fall for that. He disappeared. And it's Peter who pipes up and says, we'll go. Right. We'll go back. With, this is surprising though, right? Well, I admire the timing that C.S. Lewis uses here. We are at the end of the chapter. We're at the end of the book. It, it is time for them to go home. And it's a little sudden, but that's how trips feel when you're having a really good time and something really good just happened. Now it's time to go. Yeah, I think I think this is where I get frustrated. Maybe I, <laughs> I think I just empathize a lot with Peter, uh, especially and Susan as well too. But if I put myself in the shoes of Peter, I'm like, wait. So last time I was here, I saved all of Narnia and I got to be king for 15 years. This time, I save all of Narnia again, and I have to go right back home and never come back? I think I'd be really frustrated. I'm frustrated for Peter. I think I'm not even considering the not coming back part. It's I, In a way, as a reader, I know I get to come back. Well, I, I and I think that's what's tough for me at this ending here. I, I like that we move on and we get new protagonists throughout many of these different books. So I'm not like saying, oh, I wish Peter was the protagonist of every book. But we learn that Peter and Susan are not returning. And then, at least for me, a page later, the story's over. And we, we're done. We're done with Peter and Susan. And I just feel like I wish I had more closure to them. I feel like I didn't really get to say goodbye. If I'm reading this for the first time, I'm going, oh, Peter and Susan, Peter and Susan, great. And, and then literally with a page to go, I go, oh, they're never coming back. Page over, book's done. And I think I'm a little sad that like I didn't, I don't feel like I got closure with these characters. I felt a little bit of closure because Peter got to talk to Aslan before. Mm-hmm. And he talked to Peter and Susan together and explained a few things. And they know something, but we don't get to know it but, at least yet. But see, that that's the conversation. I want to know what happened in that conversation. I want to be there with them. And I, that's the closure I want as a, as a reader. And maybe I'm, I'm being selfish as a reader because I want but it all. As a counter... We've both seen movies where it's the end of an entire series or they're really wrapping things up for real this time or say a series finale on television. Sure. It's so easy to go too far and say goodbye to everybody. And that's not that's not an enjoyable thing to watch. I do think that there's something about not knowing and it's really fun here. And it also makes me it's so hard not to turn to the next chapter and just start reading right now. You know, and as we're talking about this, there's a thing that stands out to me. Peter makes the comment after Lucy asks, can you bear it? He says, well, I think I can. Let me ask you something. We've talked a lot about Susan in this book, and she really has not played a very large role, I think. I think she's really kind of sat out a lot of this book. Is Peter saying, I think I can, or is he just saying, I think I can? Is he like, yeah, I can handle this. I don't know about if Susan can bear this or not. What, how, how do you read it? It's hard because we can't hear his inflection here. Right. I think he's saying the emphasis is on the word think. Okay. I think I can. And it, it echoes uh, Lucy from the last book, the first book. Yeah. <laughs> um, where she goes, I, I think I could be brave enough. That is a great parallel. I really like that. That's really good. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he's making a, a judgment on Susan at all. I just was wondering if you thought that. Um but this is sad. I, I honestly, this is not a fun way to end the season. I'm, I'm a little sad to be, to have said goodbye to Peter and Susan that they, they were, were we've seen said goodbye to them now. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to say to them before we let them go? Well, my note was just no, <laughs> but I suppose it is time. Okay, you actually wrote. I, th- I suppose it is time. Yeah, right here. See, nice. Yeah, I see that. Any last thoughts, Phil, on this chapter before we go into some reflections on the book and looking ahead to next to the to the Don Treader? Uh, the Telmarines jeer as they're changing out of their royal clothes back into their school clothes. <laughs> That's just come on, guys. They're like, "Well, you guys' clothes look so lame. Yeah, lame. So you're gonna do just fine on Earth." Yeah, <laughs> That's very true. Yeah, I'm sure that'd be like the they'll lame. probably get Twitter accounts. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that'd be the lamest thing in the world to go out of these super cool, like, you know, knight, you know, king and, and yeah, kings and queens clothing and be like, I only put on my tie. Yep. 
my uniform, my high sock. My school uniform, yeah. With that, I don't have any other thoughts, too, so I think we should... Um, I have one more note. Yeah, no, yeah, please. The way the entire book ends is so perfect. Oh, yes. Peter says, well, we have had a time. And Edmund goes, bother, I've left my new torch in Narnia. <laughs> and again, a torch is a flashlight for yes. people who yeah. are joining us later in that's the, a, that's the a fun. That's a fun way to end the book, I think. It is. It That is how returning from a vacation feels like. Oh, I forgot my... Oh, that's the worst feeling. My my stuff back at the place. Yeah. And it it's not enough to go back and get it. The portal's closed. Yeah. Well, Phil, tell me about your kind of last thoughts here about Prince Caspian. As you kind of reflect on this book, what are some of your final thoughts? Overall, I think this is a fantastic sequel, and I think it does more than the sequels that we are used to. I think we're kind of conditioned that sequels should be a certain thing in terms of the movies that have come out since this book, but I really like how it's so different from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm -hmm. And there's a new set of characters. There's a smooth handoff. A few characters leave. A few of them are going to stay behind, but we still get to see everybody. Um, They don't do anything like bringing the White Witch back. Um, The Telmarines are about enough force on their own. Even the way Aslan interacts with people and doesn't show up to some stuff, mm-hmm. but then shows up after the battle's ended. All of that is so fantastic. He doesn't, Aslan doesn't show up and start fighting people. He shows up right as they've surrendered. There are all these little elements that make it different than the book before, and I really enjoyed that. Do you like it more than The Line That Witch in the Wardrobe? Rank the two books for me. <laughs> <laughs> Keep in mind that I have heard or read The Line That Witch in the Wardrobe probably seven or eight times okay prince caspian once or twice at the most yeah twice to prepare for this show but maybe once or twice before that Uh uh-huh i think i like prince caspian more wow prince caspian but prince caspian couldn't exist without yeah but that's you don't have to feel guilty about it yeah so you prince caspian lion with the wardrobe that's cool i'm glad i'm glad you enjoy it because i'm in the other camp i'm definitely lion the witch in the wardrobe i enjoy much more than Prince Caspian. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna. You've, you've read that book twenty times. I've read it many, many times. And I'm gonna stick by my thesis the the whole time we've done this show, which is that Prince Caspian is a good sequel. But I would be disappointed if it was the only sequel to The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I think just some of the narrative structure for me. I have a. I like that C.S. Lewis did something different here, but it just feels like there's a little too much whiplash for me going back and forth. So. Mm. Do I like it? Yes, absolutely. I do enjoy this book. It is a well-written book. I love the new characters we get. It leaves me wanting more. I want to know more about Caspian. I'm excited that he's a a character in our next story. And I really love some of the growth we see from Edmund and Lucy and Peter. I'm a little sad that Susan really hasn't done much in this book Mm. besides shoot, you know, an apple with your bow and arrow. And and that Telmarine who was carrying Trumpkin. Right. I do feel, though, that as the story progressed, some characters got lost and didn't get lost. Like, you know, Trumpkin was a really large part of this story, and I don't think we've heard from him at all in the last three chapters. He really just stood in it. And I do feel like Caspian himself as well was kind of lost in the shuffle. And so I do think at some points the plot overtook our characters, and that never really happens for me in The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. I always feel like there's a perfect balance between setting and world building and characters and plot. And mm. it just works so perfectly. And here I don't, I think it's a little bit more uneven. Still a very, very enjoyable book. I love the, the martial imagery. I mean, we've talked a lot about Planet Narnia in this season. Now that you know you and I have spent some time looking over the ideas of Michael Ward, it's kind of hard to read this book and not realize how much tree, how many trees are in this book. And so I really enjoyed that we've got gotten to learn about that. And then I do just love that C.S. Lewis has given us his meaning behind the book already, with this being the restoration of the true religion after corruption. And I think when we go into this book knowing that, it's very easy to find the places where that that truth shines through. Definitely. Yeah. Any last thoughts? Sit on this end. Well, Phil, you and I are not going to be back until October 2nd for people listening in real time here. 
We are going to be gone for 10 weeks, and then we will start season three of the show, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, my favorite Narnian book. That'll be on October the 2nd, which is actually my birthday. Oh, yeah. Excellent. It's fun. We're starting my favorite book on my birthday. It's going to be 40. Yeah, I will be 40 years old. <laughs> Phil, tell us what you know about The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's a ship. And that's pretty much it. All right. That's exciting. I cannot wait to go on this journey with you. <laughs> you can follow us into Narnia on our Twitter or Facebook pages. If you have any feedback, we'd love to hear from you at the Narnia podcast at gmail.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 406-646-6733. We'd also appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other listeners find the show and join our read through. And we appreciate you coming along on this journey. And we will be back next season with the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. You know what, Phil? I am just having so much fun talking about Prince Caspian that I don't want this season to end. Right? You want to keep going? Let's keep going. Let's do some listener feedback. Listener feedback. That is right. We have uh, we got a lot of emails to get through, so let's... Let's just jump right in, Phil. It's a pleasure to get through these emails. Yeah, no, it really is. I, I don't, I don't mean that in a, in in a particular. Bad way this one from Hannah. Yo, I bet you love this one. This one's good. I like this one because it affirms something that yeah, I've been I saying for years. Bet you love it. Hi, Dan and Phil. I only recently discovered the show and listened like crazy until I caught up to where you are now. I had Narnia read to me when I was little and have loved it ever since. I don't remember having the joy of reading it for the first time, but listening to both of you explore each chapter reminds me of why I love the series. With every episode, I find new angles and aspects to explore and deepen my appreciation for these books. I'm so excited to listen to you both go through each chapter of every book. I do have one issue with the podcast, but you can hopefully remedy this easily. When pronouncing the word wolf, you have to say the L. <laughs> <laughs> wolf is a sound a dog makes. A wolf is an actual animal. I don't know if this is an American thing, but I'm sure you guys can probably say wolf if you tried. <laughs> I'm mostly kidding, but it does bother me a little. Anyway, I wanted to let you guys know how much I appreciate the show and what you are doing with it. If I had to pick a favorite book in the series, it would either be The Horse and His Boy or The Silver Chair. Anyways, just wanted to let you guys know how much I appreciate the show and what you guys are doing with it. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for writing, and we definitely agree that a wolf has the sound L. <laughs> Well, that's because you, right before we, <laughs> earlier this evening, Phil turned to me. He's like, hey, Daniel, say wolf. Or, <laughs> wolf. And I was, I turned around. I said, wolf. Because it's definitely me. You don't, you say the word correctly. I definitely just don't say the L. I think that it's, it's, I hear myself saying a quiet L, uh-huh. but I am, I'm trying to say the L. <laughs> but I remember you saying wolf. I was like, that's not, that's not right. It's, it's a, Common problem that, that I have, which is that I talk so quickly, I just leave stuff out. <laughs> you got to choose certain things to leave out if you want to speak. Well, in one of the earlier episodes, I think I actually edited it out, but I was listening to me say something about, oh, you know, and right off the bat. But instead of saying bat, I just said right off the bat. <laughs> I just <laughs> left the last syllable. I sound like I'm from Boston or something. Right off the bat. Right the bat. Yeah. So, Hannah, we really appreciate that. Thank you for your gracious correction. Yes. That was, very that was a very nice way to correct it. And I well. will work really hard on. I don't know if we have any more wolves in this in the series. Wolves, wolves. But if we do, I will say the word wolf correctly. That was pretty good. Is that better? better? Yeah. Okay, good. All right. I I also thought maybe she was suggesting that we go back and edit it, <laughs> just re-record the the word wolf. <laughs> yeah. That's you can it. remedy this easily. Yeah, we're going to push season three back a couple of months because we're going to go back and, and change all of the mispronunciations of the word wolf. Add a few CGI scenes. Yeah. And All right, so our next email is from Erin, and she writes this. Hi, Phil and Dan. Ooh, she puts your name first. What's that about? Oh. You know what? You can have this. I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> She says, hi. Actually, I'm, I feel I'm, like Phil and Daniel sounds better than Daniel and Phil, but I'm totally fine having I, your name first. No, I 100% agree. It's when like I, Clark and Lewis. When I actually put the stuff on our Patreon, you have to put uh, our names first, and I always put your name first because I think it sounds better Phil and Daniel because I have the two syllables. It definitely sounds better that way. Hmm. So I'm just giving Aaron a hard time here. <laughs> uh, she writes... First of all, I just wanted to say thank you for your podcast and for all the hard work you put into it. 
I was introduced to the Lamppost Listener by a friend just a couple of weeks ago and have thoroughly enjoyed the journey so far. So we've got some word of mouth. Thank you, Aaron and said friend, who is probably listening as well, I assume. I love Narnia, but I but am also by no means a scholar or a Lewis expert, so I appreciate how accessible you make the podcast to listeners of all backgrounds. Both of you, along with your guests and feedback from other listeners, bring perspective and insight that have made me fall in love with the books and adaptations even more, which I didn't realize was even possible for me. Thanks also for being open about your faith and discussing how themes and tenets of Christianity are woven into the tapestry of this series. This is really beautifully written, Aaron. I'm still getting caught up, currently on Chapter 3 of Prince Caspian, so I don't really have any timely or specific feedback. Just wanted to generally express my thanks. Smiley face. I'm so glad you guys are curating this special little space of Narnia on the internet. What a great tribute to such an influential series. I'm so encouraged that there are so many others out there that that love Narnia, and that I'm not the only one who loves to geek out over the details. I was just recently traveling in Northern Ireland and was truly left in awe at some of the natural landscape. It makes perfect sense that it evoked a feeling of stepping into Narnia for me, even though I've never been there myself, despite trying very hard to enter through a wardrobe as a child. I really hope, Aaron, that you remembered to not close that door (laughs) behind you. It would be unwise to close the door. Lewis certainly was inspired by the surroundings of his childhood, and it so beautifully translates into some of the descriptions of Narnia and other locations. And then Aaron went on and actually shared quite a few pictures of some of her travels in Northern Ireland. And Aaron, we really appreciated those. Phil and I were looking over them and geeking out ourselves over the Narnia Trail. It looked so cool. Some of the sculptures there, or I think they were sculptures, they were just so neat. So, And then she just ends the, the email. Thanks again to you both. Further up and further in. I can't wait for you to finally get that reference, Phil. Yo, me too, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> that was so sweet of 2023. Aaron. 2023. Yeah, that was yeah. really nice. Also, those photos are awesome. I don't know how to... Open an attachment on Gmail? <laughs> yeah. Can you show me? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't want to brag about how great these photos are because other people can't see them because they're in our email account. But yeah. They're really, really cool. So go to Northern Ireland and look for this place. So go to Northern Ireland and check it out for yourself. All right, Phil, you're up. Okay. Daniel says, hey, guys, I just started the book discussion this season, though I listened to the episodes on the BBC adaptation and the movie. I remember my older siblings watching the battle scenes from the BBC version and thinking that the animated ghosts and monsters were so weird. Roger that. <laughs> but I think they did a good job with the technology at the time. That was Phil talking. That was Daniel. me. <laughs> In quote, Phil, now starting Daniel again. My mom read the series to us when we were young, and my brother read them to me just a few years ago. I have read them myself now, too, and just picked them up again after finishing The Lord of the Rings, another series my brother read to me several years ago. My favorite book of the series has always been The Last Battle because of its deep story and its beautiful description of what heaven may be like. Spoiler alert. Why'd you make me read this one? That's not that much. Is that yeah, spo- That's fine. I'm curious what your least favorite books are. You have discussed your favorites and mentioned that many people do not like Prince Caspian, but you haven't ranked the books yourselves, if I remember correctly. So, Daniel, of the Lamppost listener, you want to rank your books real quick? Yes, I. I, I am going to abstain because well, I haven't read them all. I think you can rank. You, I think earlier in this episode, you just talked about Prince Caspian being your first and Lion of the Wardrobe, correct? That's yes. how you would rank the series one, so far. <laughs> one and two. One and two. <laughs> Uh, my ranking is tentative and I can't remember if we've talked about it on the show, but I have not read the horse and his boy as an adult and whatever I read of it as a kid. And I'm actually not sure that I read it as a kid. I think I did, but I just don't remember any of it. So I, that book is an enigma to me. So that's going to be at the bottom of my list now, not because it's my least favorite, but because I have not reread it. And you and I are actually planning to read the book. When we get to that, we're both going to read it with fresh eyes, having never read it. Really oh, before. sweet. So that, that one is my, I'm putting that at number seven, but only because I don't remember it or have never read it. I can't remember. So here's my ranking. Uh, number one, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Two, Silver Chair. Three, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Four, The Last Battle. Five, The Magician's Nephew. And six, Prince Caspian. So the, of all of the ones that I have read as an adult, we are just finishing my least favorite, which is very encouraging because I liked this book. Right, and it's so the favorite. other ones must be really good. Yeah, I cannot wait till we get to some of these other ones. So, and I really am excited when you and I read 
the horse and his boy, and we're literally like, we don't know what happens next. Right. Yeah, uh, it'll yeah. be really fun. Be I'm fun. sure we'll somehow get spoiled a little bit. But maybe I should read it all the way through, and then I can play the role of, well, you don't know what happens. That next. could be fun. That'd be a fun thing to do. So he has one other really good question here. If you could have any other food or drink from another fantasy novel, what would it be? I think I would love to taste butterbeer. I know they have it at some Harry Potter thing somewhere. I want to taste the real thing from the actual. If Harry Potter were real, I'd want to go there and taste butterbeer. What would yours be? I think I would really, I don't know if it would taste good, <laughs> but I would love to try some Limbus from Middle Earth. You know, the, the elvish whey bread that if you take like one bite fills your stomach up. I just, I don't know if it would, does it just taste like, does, I, don't, I don't know. I, I want to know if it has any kind of taste. I Have you like, had Ezekiel bread? No, I don't know what that is. It's it's just called Ezekiel bread. It's made a certain way, similar to some description from the Old Testament. But oh, okay. It is very dense, and it really does kind of keep you full for a while. Yeah. I don't think Limbus is like sweetened at all or anything, so I don't know if it would taste good. You but I just would want to. I want to. I would want to be able to say that yes, I've tried Limbus. So that, or um, you know, when they're at the mountain pass um, for Caradras, Gandalf gives the Fellowship Minerva from, which is that kind of like mead drink that like fills their spirits and everything. It's like warm inside. I would love to try some of that. She was the one who played McGonagall, right? (laughs) Yes, that's very funny. No, that's McGonagall's first name is Minerva. Okay. (laughs) All right. Well, the next email we have is from Summer. (laughs) I want to read the subject line for email, which is, statisticians hate him. Lion says things never happen the same way twice. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best clickbait-inspired thing I've seen in a while. I know. I clicked on email as soon as we got it. (laughs) Statisticians hate him. She says, Dear Phil and Daniel, First of all, thank you for all the time and love you put into the podcast. Every episode feels like a conversation with friends. Thank you, Summer. Yeah, Yeah, thank you for that. Some thoughts on things not happening the same way twice. You've discussed this as meaning either that this is simply the way things are or that this is the only way it can be. I wonder if, alternatively, Aslan does this intentionally. If he did, it was aligned with the idea that he is not a tame lion. Biblically, one problem with Israel's idolatry is that it attempts to reduce the creator God into one aspect of creation. Many contemporary pastors have also explored this idea. For example, Bill Johnson discusses Jesus' first meeting with the disciples after his resurrection, where they barely recognize him, saying of Jesus, He likes to appear to us differently than the last time so that we learn to recognize him by his voice and presence and not by our formulas that we have created. Mal Fletcher has also discussed the dangers of predictability here, and she's given us a couple of different links uh, to check out. And one of them is about the image of God, which is from the Bible Project, which I don't know if we've ever talked about the Bible Project on the show. We are fans. We are huge fans. Anna and I actually have the coffee table book of um, every single book of the Bible that they do, you know, in their video series and stuff, we have all of the posters in this coffee, t- this huge coffee table book we have just over in our, our, our uh, living room. On and the I, coffee table. Yeah, yeah, it is on the coffee table. That is correct. So I'll actually post, just for listeners, if you're not familiar with the Bible Project, it is one of the coolest vi- YouTube channels out there. It is two guys. No, it's a couple of different people. It's a whole team. It's a whole to team make of people. It, to make the illustrations and animations happen. And it is just a great source of uh, biblical truth and knowledge about Scripture. So if you haven't checked that out, I'm glad that Summer brought it up. That way, just even if our listeners have never heard of it before, they can go check it out. My favorite video is probably the one of Esther. So I'll also just tell listeners to go ahead and check that one out. I, I really think they do a good job of that one. That, that is a good one. This next one is from Hannah, a different Hannah. Hey, friends. So I noticed a discrepancy in the way time passes in our world versus how it passes in Narnia. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, time in our world stands still, while something like 15 years passes in Narnia. However, at the end of Prince Caspian, Aslan tells the Telmarines that the bad people are long dead, but it stands to reason that time should have stood still in their homeland as well. To my understanding, Telmarines are not native Narnians. Am I missing something? Please help. Love the show. So glad I found it. It's great to listen to a podcast on Narnia hosted by Brothers in the Faith. Thanks for your time. Aslan is on the move. Yeah, so we actually just talked about this in the episode. Yeah. Um, a little bit too late, I think, for um, this email. So just 
Well, I she, actually Hannah sent us this email a while ago, and I haven't showed it to you because I didn't want to spoil it for you. Ah, uh, yes, you because, can, yeah. You this is the one I've been telling you. Like, me. don't look at that email. So, do you want to answer? Or do you want me to? Yes. So we now know that the Telmarines spent some time in Telmar, but originally they came from planet Earth, Earth One. <laughs> yeah, or, or Earth Six One Six in the Marvel 616, universe. That's right. Yeah, and even to her question about the discrepancies in time, I think we've learned. And I think this will be confirmed as well in Dawn Shredder that the the time is not a one-for-one kind of ratio. Sometimes uh, you can spend a long time in Narnia and no time passes in our time. Other times you could spend a a short time in Narnia, but the same amount of time. I I don't think there's any kind of correlation. It's just the times are different. I don't think there's any kind of correlation, which is why, you know, the Pevensies go back to the exact moment that they left in this book, and they really only spend, I think, maybe a week here in Narnia as opposed to 15 years. And then when they return in Dawn Treader next, time has also been a little bit... It's it's not the same again. And so I'm not trying to spoil you, Phil, but I think that kind of... I don't think there is any kind of correlation between time and our world in Narnia. And I think the reason it works is there's no need for the timelines to match up and have a formula in terms of the story. If you think of something like Interstellar, which I just saw again recently, that is a key part of the story, that so much time passes because the two time rates are different. But in this case, I think it's easy to be um, put off by it because it seems like Lewis may just be manipulating time to fit his own needs, but because it doesn't actually affect their time in England, mm-hmm. it works here. Yeah. All right, so we are, we are out of time for listener feedback. So those were such great emails we got to read on the show. Uh, each and every one of y'all, thank y'all so much for reaching out to us. It means a lot. Phil, do you have any last things to say before we wrap up season two of the Lamp Post Listener? I'm just excited for season three. <laughs> Phil, just <laughs> Phil just like stretched his arms wide <laughs> to say how excited he was, which I love. I'm not trying to put you down for your enthusiasm, but you are historically, you are not a very animated talker. I'm working on it. Yeah, no, no, I don't mean that as an insult. You're just and you, part of part of how I'm working on it is I'm moving around more when I talk. You you have a uh, a stillness and a calmness to you that I think many of our listeners appreciate. I'm sure. Thanks for reframing that for me. No, no, I'm sure many of our listeners just you got so animated about it. I love it. I'm sure that many of our listeners are graded by my voice. Well, but here's like, what here's love part when you of speak up. Part of what I think is. I can be animated, but I feel like both of us being animated would be a lot. Yeah. And both of us having annoying voices would be a lot. So he's like, <laughs> I've taken up that mantle very sa- so selfishly, uh, sacrificially on mm-hmm. my part. And I've let you be kind of the gentle, smooth talker. Right. And I am the annoying, loud, energetic person. You know who would be fun to have on the show? Who? Delilah. Do you- <laughs> All right. That's how we're going to end the second season of this show. <laughs> we've had a lot of fun in chapter 15 here we really have it's been great um, so no you don't you're just excited for season three i'm very excited for season three i am so excited because we are going into my favorite book in this series so much great stuff's going to happen and before that we have two hiatus episodes that i think listeners are really going to enjoy so i think that'll be really fun definitely yeah all right well listeners thanks so much and we will see you again for the Voyage of the Dawn Treader.